You know, in the book of Daniel, there's a there's a story of um, Daniel's visited by an angel, and um, of course when he, when he when he sees this guy, he says he's standing on the bank of the Tigris River, and he looks up and he sees this fearsome man, this that's like glowing, and of course Daniel's terrified, and uh, that's any experience that anybody ever comes across an angel in the Bible. There's no such thing as a cherub with wings, I guess, because everybody's terrified when they see an angel. And the angel says, hey, Daniel, uh, don't worry about me. I've got a message for you from God. God loves you, and uh, i got something to say to you. And I would have been here sooner, but I got held up by the prince of Persia uh, where I had to fight a battle for 21 days. I was fighting this battle to try and get here. And finally, Michael, the archangel, came and relieved me so that I could get here to talk to you. And <laughs> I've been thinking about that because, man, sometimes it just feels that way. We're trying to get to these races and trying to get out and do ministry. And I know I'm no different from anybody else, but um, you see my hauler here, U-Haul. Uh, and, and the orange matches the KTM orange, so I guess it's a good fit for us. But I started, I started the trip from Nashville, Tennessee. Actually, I started from Knoxville, where I picked up my, uh, my little rig, had a brand new rear end put in it, and uh, drove from Knoxville to Nashville, loaded everything up, and started my trip on up this way. Got about, I don't know, 500 miles into the trip and started hearing this awful racket, this noise, and... And I made it to Western New York to my mom's house, where to where I grew up, about 200 miles from here. And the thing was, the motor was about to fall out. It was crank bearing. Crank bearing went out on it. I'm like, man, what in the world? So I got here Friday night, uh, just in time to get these tents set up. I've never been late to a race in six, seven years of doing ministry, and first for everything. And I just got to thinking about, man, that Prince of Persia. <laughs> gonna have to, gonna have to have Michael Archangel come and give me a hand here, because. Uh, but I got here and I found out that all the Racer Productions crew, it seems like they had two trucks that, that had trouble. They had a flat tire. They had all kinds, of, all kinds of issues. So I guess it's not just common to me. But I am thankful to be here. And I'm thankful to see many of you have returned from the break. And uh, we're here anxious to, to get back on two wheels again and get racing. And we're blessed with beautiful weather. So we're going to count our blessings today. God, thanks a lot for this morning. Just thanks for the opportunity to be here. Thanks, uh, thanks for the sunshine. And um, I just pray that you will quiet our hearts right now, that we'll be able to concentrate on what you have to share with us this morning, as I believe it's an important message. And I want to be faithful to deliver it as you've laid it on my heart. So give me the words to say. Give us hearts to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I think they're working on those speakers. Rodney actually went and shut those things down. So if those get to be distracting and they've turned them back on, just, just go ahead and take care of it um, for me. I appreciate that. Last time that we met was in Snowshoe, West Virginia, just a little over two months ago. And Snowshoe is a beautiful place, ski resort on top of a mountain in West Virginia. And you look down from the top of the ski resort and you see that beautiful lake down there. And down at that lake is a boathouse. And there's no easy way to get to it except by the ski lift, or you can take about six miles to get around the mountain and get down to that, that boathouse. While I was at Snowshoe, actually before I went to Snowshoe, I was asked, would you conduct a wedding for me? And Jerry Headley had asked me to, to perform her wedding ceremony, to officiate her wedding ceremony there at Snowshoe. Now, Jerry is one of the uh, workers at the Racer Productions office in Morgantown, West Virginia. She's worked there for a number of years, and, uh, and so I was honored to be a part of that wedding. And I, as I went down there to officiate this wedding between, between Jerry and Mac, uh, it became a who's who 
of uh, GNCC Racing and Racer Productions. I mean, Tim Cotter was there and Carrie Joe and Rita and all the Racer Productions staff because Jerry works there and she's very well connected. And so we had just this this family, a GNCC family, Racer Productions family of about 50 or 60 people. And we had a wedding right down there at the bottom of the mountain on this lake and it was just beautiful. And Ken Hill took pictures and posted a lot of them up on Facebook and we had a lot of fun making comments back and forth and making jokes and and uh, and it was it was just a it was a really cool time and we kicked off and went into the summer break and going through the summer break uh, I was able to follow a lot of you guys on on Facebook but I was also to follow, able to follow the new bride Jerry and Mac on Facebook and to my shock uh, Mac the the groom in that wedding he died just about a week ago and uh, I mean they were married for two months and August 27th, he was walking off the baseball field. He was an athlete. I didn't know this until afterwards, but uh, in, his, in his younger days, he was 48 years old when he died, but in his younger days, he was a walk-on on a minor league baseball team after he left the United States Army. And when he was in the Army, he was an 82nd Airborne. So, and, and went and got his Ranger tab. He's an Airborne Ranger, hardcore, tough guy. 48 years old, walking off of a baseball field and drops over dead. I couldn't believe it. It was a shock to everybody, and uh, and it, there were no, there still are no words. I mean, I spent many many minutes in prayer. I spent a lot of time, many hours in prayer. Actually, gets God, how how does this happen? This doesn't reconcile. How is anybody going to trust you, God, when things like this happen? And you know what? I'm not God. I don't know. God's a big enough God that He can answer those questions for each of us as an individual. But um, on my way up here, I made it a point to go to Morgantown, West Virginia, and attend that funeral. And as I walked in the door on Wednesday morning and sat down in the funeral home, I already had a message prepared for today. But as I sat in that funeral, something just started bouncing around in my head. Something that I had read a year, maybe two years ago. I read something, some obscure passage in the Old Testament, and it was just ringing around in my head. Something about the responsibility of a leader to the people that he's tasked to lead by God. I thought, man, what was that? And so it bothered me all day long. After the funeral, we had we had a, a, a luncheon and time with the family. And I hit the road, and I kept driving. And when I got stopped for the night at Walmart, I mean, where else are you going to stop, right? Parked in Walmart parking lot, and I got my iPhone out. And I started trying to find that passage in the Old Testament. I couldn't find it through any of my searches that I was doing. So I said, well, old-fashioned, I'll pick up the Bible. Why is it so hard to pick up the Bible? Picked up the Bible, and I said, all right, Isaiah. I started skimming through Isaiah. No, I can't find it there. Jeremiah. I'm like, I'm sure it's one of these Old Testament prophets that God said this to. And finally I came across Ezekiel. And Ezekiel starts out that he was 30 years old when he received a vision from God. And God comes to him and says, Son of man, stand up. I have something to say to you. He said, I am sending you to the family of Israel. I love it. God's just very blunt and direct with Ezekiel. Stand up. I'm going to talk to you. So Ezekiel does that and God basically says, Ezekiel... I want to communicate through you to the nation of Israel. You are the watchman of the nation of Israel, and if I have something to say to them, I'm going to say it through you. Jeremiah or Ezekiel says that he didn't even want to go, but he says this, but God had me in his grip, and so he went to where God told him to go, and he waited for seven days. And after the end of seven days, God comes with the very first message that he has for Ezekiel. And this is what was bouncing around in my head all day on Wednesday. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the family of Israel. Whenever you hear me say something, warn them for me. If I say to the wicked, you are going to die, and you don't sound the alarm warning them that it's a matter of life or death, they will die, and it will be your fault. I will hold you responsible. But if you warn the wicked and they keep on sinning anyway, they'll most certainly die for their sin, but you 
will not die. You will have saved your life. And I understood when I read that again, just an obscure passage that I had skimmed through a couple years ago and God brought it back to my mind. I understood what he was saying. Chuck, you are the watchman of the GNCC Racing Nation. If I have something to say to these people, I'm going to say it through you. And I've been faithful to that for, for six or seven years now. I've been faithful to do that. If I want to tell them that they are going to die in their sin and you do not warn them, I'm holding you responsible. So today is going to be a little bit different of a message. I've never been a doom and gloom kind of preacher, man. My favorite, my favorite message that I hit on, uh, it seems like almost every other message, is that God created you on purpose for a purpose. That God has a plan for your life. He's a great God. And He can orchestrate so many different events. Bad events and good events can all come together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. I love that message. And I love providing hope and inspiration. Doom and gloom isn't really my thing. I'm not one of them turn and burn preachers. I go downtown Nashville every once in a while, which is where I live, and every once in a while somebody will be in town, I'll take them downtown, and there's always a street evangelist. Turn or burn, you know, you're going you're gonna to burn in hell. Like, man, I don't know how effective that message really is. But man, God's just put it on my heart that if you don't warn them that there's an eternity to come and that we're all accountable for our time here on this earth, there's one of two places that we go, and you don't warn them, I'm holding you responsible, and I don't want to carry that responsibility. So I'm going to be faithful to what I think God wants me to share, even if I don't want to share it like Ezekiel's like, man, God, I don't even want to do that job. But God had me in his grip. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes judgment. One of Jesus' disciples was named John, and John followed Jesus around for three years and actually wrote the Gospel of John. After Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again, he was seen by over 500 people. And a movement started that started the, what we call the church today. This Christianity movement had started. And, and originally, it was tried to be squashed. And we see this in the book of Acts where there was a guy, Stephen, who was preaching about this Jesus who was the Messiah, the one that God sent, and when you guys killed him. And then there was this guy named Saul who became Paul who was persecuting the church and said, no, now I'm all sold out, I'm all in. And this, as this movement started to grow, so did the opposition. And people started getting killed because of their belief in Jesus. And we've seen some of this in the news even, even here lately with ISIS going on over in Syria and Iraq and the persecution of Christians and people that don't believe the same. This was very much a part of the first century culture. And so John, the Christian tradition tells us that he was actually supposed to have been killed by pouring boiling oil over top of him. But it didn't kill him. And so he was exiled to the island of Patmos in great pain and distress. He's out on Patmos. He has a vision from God. I'm sure many of us would have visions if we had open sores all over our bodies, but his was a little bit different than my visions because this came from God. And so John was faithful to record what he saw. And he saw a vision of the end of times, and he wrote 21 chapters that became known as, as the book of Revelation. And in this chapter 20, John relates what he saw. He said, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And all books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead. The death and grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I don't think I like that. I don't think I like talking about that. It's not near as much fun as the message that I like to that I've been able to preach at a few churches called a chunk of pavement, where where we we value uh, you know we value gold on this earth, and yet gold is used for pavement in heaven. I love that, that that heaven's a beautiful place, but here we're talking about the lake of fire, 
and damnation. The only time I'm ever allowed to curse, but <laughs> damnation. I don't think I like it. One thing that I do as a, as, as a preacher, as a pit preacher, I guess I call myself, is as I'm driving around and i got all these miles to go, I listen to a lot of podcasts of guys that are smarter than me, that are more effective communicators than me, and I try to learn from them. And early on, when I became the pit pastor for GNCC, there was a guy in 2009 whose name was Rob Bell. And he had started a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, this church grew very, very fast. And Rob Bell was an excellent communicator. And one of his favorite messages was that God loves people. And his church loved people. In Grand Rapids, Michigan, the church was very active in the community. And they were showing the love of Jesus Christ to the people in that community. And so uh, in 2010, during the off-season from GNCC, Arena Cross was going. And uh, I went to the Arena Cross up in Grand Rapids as part of Team Faith. And everybody, we raced on Saturday night, and then everybody flew out Sunday morning. I stuck around. I said, I want to fly out Sunday afternoon, and I'll take the rental car back to the hotel. I want to go to Mars Hill Church in Grand Rapids. I want to hear Rob Bell in person. And I got to do that. I was really impressed with this church. The church was in the industrial section of town did not even have a sign on the outside of the building. I was like, man, I don't even know where I'm going, but I'm going to follow this long line of cars because there's thousands of people who go to this church. So I just followed a whole bunch of traffic, ended up in this parking lot. There's this big building, and people are walking into this building. So I walked in with them, and it was Mars Hill Church. No frill, no carpet on the floor, just an old warehouse that they turned into a church. No frills, no extra money spent, no fancy lighting. I, I really liked it because I don't need all that stuff. To me, that's all a distraction. That's just me. But Rob Bell preached a great message that day on the love of God. And uh, I thought, oh, man, this was, this was really cool. Well, a year later, Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins. And in that book, he talked about the love of God, the love that Jesus had for people, the love that his church is sharing with their community. But in that book, he had a chapter that said that there is no such thing as hell. And I thought, what? There is no way to get around this passage that I just read you in Revelation that at the end of time, we're all judged according for what we do on our on our earth, on our time on earth. If I can even get it out, there's no way to get around that. Not only that, but every New Testament author had something to say about hell. Jesus had a lot to say about hell. I don't know how you can get around that. And so, with that book, Rob Bell being such a well-known speaker sparked off a national debate where people were. He ended up on MSNBC and Fox News and getting interviewed on O'Reilly and all kinds of different places about this one chapter in his book. And so this led to a whole bunch of new books being written of people repudiating Rob Bell's one chapter in his book. And one of those guys that wrote a book was Francis Chan. Francis Chan started a church out in California, became a very fast-growing church, became the largest, today it's the largest church in Ventura County in California. And Francis Chan is also an excellent communicator. He started to write a book called uh, Erasing Hell. And originally it was in response to Rob Bell's book, but it became a book of its own as God started working in Francis Chan. And Francis Chan had the same problem that I have. Like, man, this is not a very comfortable topic. And so Christianity Today, the magazine Christianity Today, their senior editor, Mark Galley, interviewed Francis Chan and asked him a couple questions. And one of those questions was, he says, in several places in your book, it's clear that you are conflicted about even addressing this topic. And Francis Chan said, yeah, you're right. I am conflicted about addressing this topic. And yet I've lost sleep several times in the middle of the night. I couldn't sleep. I really believe God wanted me to do this. It's just wrestling because I thought, man, this is not me. I don't think I'm going to enjoy this at all. He says, it's easy to write for God and about God because what a thrill to remind the church that the Holy Spirit is in you. That's a rush, it's a blessing, but who would want to take time to write about something that's so awful, so painful? I hear you, man. Well, the next question posed to him was, 
Uh, what do you think is the biggest misunderstanding contemporary Christians have about hell? And I am a contemporary Christian. I'm a modern-day follower of Jesus Christ. What do you think the biggest misconception is that we have about hell? And Francis Chan hit the nail on the head. He said the main thing is that we have tried to block hell out of our minds. He goes on, yet, because it's written about so often in Scripture, I think God wants it on the forefront. I think he's absolutely right. And that's why we're looking at it today. Luke chapter 16, Luke, Dr. Luke, he recounts a, a time when Jesus, during his ministry, before he was uh, taken into custody in Jerusalem, he's, he's out preaching and he's teaching and he's healing people and crowds of people are gathering around him. And in Luke chapter 16, Jesus is telling a story about two men. One was a very rich man who had a very nice house, who had lots of food, had fine clothes to wear. And there was another man named Lazarus, who was a beggar, sat outside the gate of this guy's house. Big house, had a courtyard with a gate. Obviously, this guy's well-to-do, and this guy's a beggar. says that he's so poor that he begs for just scraps of food that fall from the guy's table. And the dogs come and lick the wounds and the sores of Lazarus. Well, both of these guys died. Jesus tells the story. They both die. Lazarus goes to Abraham's side. The rich man goes into Hades, or Hades, however you want to pronounce it. The rich man looks up from his torment, and he sees Lazarus at Abraham's side. He says, Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to me. Allow him to dip his finger in some water and place a drop of water on my tongue. I am so thirsty. And Abraham says, you had your fine things in life, and Lazarus had his, or didn't have his. And now he's here, and you were there, and there's a great chasm that separates us. He's not, if he wanted to, he couldn't get to you, and you cannot get to here. And the, so the rich man says, well, at least, Father Abraham, at least, at least let Lazarus go back down to earth and tell my family about the truth because I have five brothers and I want them to avoid this. And Abraham says this, he says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You know, it wasn't too long after Jesus told this story about a guy named Lazarus who died that Jesus took and raised a guy named Lazarus who had died and brought him back to life. Lazarus was dead for four days in the grave. And Jesus attends the funeral and he says, oh, watch this. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the grave all wrapped up in grave clothes. And he says, let him loose. And Lazarus is alive. That actually was the last recorded miracle of Jesus. Before he goes into Jerusalem for the, the Passover. And, and, but that, uh, that resurrection of Lazarus was the catalyst. It was the propellant that really infuriated the religious leaders that caused them to really seek to put Jesus to death. And that was the last miracle. That's what made them so angry because many of the Jews, it records in, in John, many of the Jews were turning to Jesus because of Lazarus. And so Jesus is arrested and he's put to death. And what did Abraham say? If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Lazarus brought back to life and it only infuriated people instead of making them believe. Wow. Isn't pride a stupid thing? Pride and arrogance is our undoing. Pride and arrogance is the root of all sin. Pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Did you know that, that, that Satan is referred to as an angel of light? He was at one time, he was the chief angel in heaven. He was the archangel. He was the, the highest. He was the best angel in heaven. And that wasn't good enough for Satan. The Bible records that Satan wanted to be God. He wanted to sit on God's throne, and he wanted to rule. He wanted, God, you're not making the decisions I would make. I want to be there. And so Revelation records that there was a war in heaven, a great war in heaven broke out. And Michael and the archangels, 
they all fought against this, this Satan and this devil, this dragon, and they threw him down to earth. And we know that when Satan came down to earth, he became the deceiver of the nations. And Satan is still alive and well today, but John records in chapter 20 of Revelation, he says that Satan's destiny is that the devil was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Torment. Lake of fire. Hell. Satan is still, he's not in that place, he's not in that final place just yet. He is still the deceiver of the nations. And I know that there, there are a couple of major lies that he tells us, even here in America, that we like to buy into. Number one is that there is no God. If there is no God, you don't have to worry about heaven, you don't have to worry about hell. Number two, and I would say that probably most of us around here, we believe that there is a God or we wouldn't even be here. Number two, though, is that there is no hell. That makes it nice and easy. We don't really have to worry about our eternal destiny. Number three, all people go to heaven. Good people go to heaven anyway, so you don't really have to worry about it. The problem is that all three of those are a bold-faced lie. Have nothing to do with anything that God has revealed to us in His Word. That there isn't an eternity that awaits all of us. One of two places. There's heaven and hell. God says we've all sinned. We've all come short of His standard. We're not going to make it on our own merit. We're not going to be able to do anything that's going to please Him. We are doomed forever. The lake of fire, sulfur, the pit, the burning, the gnashing of teeth, the torment, the damnation, everything that's evil, everything that's bad, awaits every single one of us right here. And there's no nothing that we can do about it. From the very beginning of time, since Adam and Eve did their very first sin to say, God, I want to be the God of my life. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do things my way because I think I can make it work out better than you can make it work out for me. Lie of Satan, first lie that's recorded from Satan. Death has been a part of our, our world. Matter of fact, the first death recorded was when God came down and he forgave Adam and Eve. And he said, all right, you guys need some clothes to wear. And he killed an animal. The shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. There is no repentance for sins. It can't be made right without blood. And from that time on, Adam and Eve had their animal skins that an animal had to die to give them those skins. And from that point on, we see all about this sacrifice. We see the sacrificial system in the, all through the Old Testament that if you sin, here's the sacrifice you have to make. Sometimes it's just a pigeon, sometimes it's a bull, sometimes it's a goat. There's always blood that has to be shed. And then we see Jesus come to this earth, God's own Son come to this earth and paid the ultimate price. The only person that ever lived who was perfect, sinless, and flawless, the perfect spotless Lamb of God he's referred to, crucified, that blood, can pay the price for you and me, for our sins, so that we can have an eternal security in heaven and don't have to go to hell. Many of you are familiar, I'm familiar with the, the movie Red Dawn, 1984, Patrick Swayze. Cool movie, if you haven't seen it, it's worth watching even today, all these years later. Red Dawn was all about a Russian invasion into America. Did you know that there was actually a military operation that was named Red Dawn, named after that movie? It's 2003, Saddam Hussein. It was the mission to go get Saddam Hussein. The, the United States Special Forces had him narrowed down to using one of two places, Wolverine 1 and Wolverine 2. And in 2003, we all remember George Bush, president at the time, comes on TV and says, we got him. And you see the video of them dragging a disheveled and disoriented Saddam Hussein out of a spider hole, an eight-foot spider hole filled with rats and mice, a long fall from all the palaces. I think Saddam had like 20-some palaces all through Iraq at one time as he was killing thousands and thousands and thousands of his own people. And here he is stuck in this eight-foot hole. And so the, the United States Army... They take him into custody, and they bring him before an Iraqi tribunal of four of Saddam's Iraqi peers. They say, all right, you guys need to identify Saddam Hussein. Do you want to do this through a glass window, or do you want to do it through closed-circuit TV? And they said, we want to talk to him. 
And so as they talked to Saddam Hussein, the thing that they were most struck by was his absolute arrogance. He had absolutely no repentance, no remorse. He hadn't done a thing wrong. And it only took like a week or two, and they hung him. I mean, talk about swift justice. We don't do justice that way in America. But they hung him, and he deserved it. And had he repented, the outcome would have still been the same, but it sure would be nice to know that that guy was sorry for all the sins that he committed, but he wasn't. Arrogance and pride is what holds every single one of us back. John 3.16, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him, it's that simple, whoever believes in him will not perish, what we're talking about today, but have everlasting life. Jesus on this earth, he taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. We've all heard this prayer, we can probably recite it. Part of that prayer is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. You see, we either say to God during our time on this earth, thy will be done, or we come to the end of time and God looks at us and says, thy will be done. I have sent my watchman to you to tell you the plain truth. You either say, God, I give up. I'm going to do it your way. I surrender to you. Or you come to the end of time and you make all these excuses just like Saddam Hussein was doing. I have done nothing wrong. Here's the reasons you should let me into heaven, God. And he says, your will be done. You knew the truth. You chose this for yourself. Jesus says that at that day of judgment, there are many people that are going to come to him and say, hey, didn't I do all these good things in your name? Hey, didn't I go to church? Didn't I do miracles in your name? You should let me into heaven. And he will say, depart from me. I do not know where you come from. All you workers of evil, go to that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, I don't wish that on anybody. My worst enemy, I don't wish that on. And because we're all gathered here, and the sound of my voice, I'm going to do something that I've never done on this series before. I've often told people about the way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And here's an example prayer that you can pray. But today, I'm not taking any chances. If there's never been a point in your life where you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want that to be today. So in a minute, I'm going to invite you to bow your head, close your eyes, and I'll give you the opportunity. If you've never accepted Jesus and you want to do that, I'll ask you to raise your hand. And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, every head's bowed, every eye's closed, but somebody's cheating, somebody's looking around, and further that, more than that, we're in the middle of a racetrack. There are people walking by and riding by, and they might see me raise my hand. You know what I say? The hell with it. Serious. This is life and death. We're talking about hell. Eternity rides on this. So if you would, just go ahead and bow your head. Close your eyes. God, give us courage. Is there anybody here today that's never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? You want to make that right before God today? If you would, just raise your hand. Don't worry about what people are saying. Don't worry about what they're thinking. God, I just pray that you give us courage today. I know that you're talking to people. If there is anyone here that, that hasn't accepted you, I just pray that you don't give them rest until they get right with you. And just so you know, folks, if you want to be right with God and you've never done it, it's as simple as just saying, God, I'm a sinner, and I give it over to you. Forgive me my sin. I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. It is that simple. Whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. God, be with us today. Thank you for this, this sunshine. Go with us and work on our hearts. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys, thanks a lot for being here. It is so good to see you. I'll be here all day and look forward to seeing you on the track. Thanks a lot. Have a great race.